Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by somebody with a lot of experience on helping people become champions in life and a better version of themselves. He is none other than author and retired Air Force veteran, Paul White. Not only is Paul a retired Air Force veteran, but he has won multiple championships in sports as a player and a coach. So Paul is going to be telling his story as well as talking about how he has used his experience in the Air Force to help people become better versions of themselves. So, Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. Curtis, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Thank you for your time. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Okay. I'll do my best to give you the Reader's Digest version. So I retired from the military about a little over five years ago. And an interesting question that's came up to me recently was what you are versus, or sorry, who you are versus what you do. And, And I think as a military guy, some of your military listeners can probably pile onto this, but I think in the military, you take on a persona where that that kind of becomes who you are. And after I retired, I kind of had to go through this reinvention and figure out who I am. And I found out that I'm a husband and I'm a dad and I'm the provider and the protector of my family. Now, what I did in the past was all kind of leading up to that point. And I know we'll get into some more of the specifics, but what I did were those were little pieces of a much bigger puzzle that hopefully gets me to a point where I can use that experience and use those things as a platform to help others reach either different goals or become different versions of themselves as they go on. So I know it's kind of a little bit convoluted, but that's me in a nutshell. Well, why don't you talk about what made you want to join the the military T- tell us about that yeah that's a that's kind of a fun one um everybody I, I believe that everybody joins the military for different reasons maybe you're a patriot from birth maybe there was a significant event like 9/11 that was a a huge that was a critical pivot point in a lot of people's lives where they just felt this calling to serve some people join for the education benefits Some people are forced by a judge, all different manner of reasons people join the military. And mine was a little bit out of necessity. Uh, I went to college right out of high school. And I'll just say that me in college didn't see eye to eye. When they said go to college, I didn't necessarily associate that with go to class. So after a couple of years, I wasn't invited back. And simultaneously, my parents were cotton farmers. They ended up going bankrupt, lost the entire farm, all the equipment, everything. So we were kind of, as a family, we were kind of in a bind. And I'd been thinking about the Air Force since I was a little kid when I saw Top Gun. I just, airplanes were my thing. I just loved watching them fly. I loved everything about them. And that's kind of what led me to go to the recruiter in the first place. And I remember telling the guy, 
And I said, I like fixing things. I like working outside and I want to be around airplanes. He goes, I know exactly what you want to do. And so he made me a crew chief on F-15s. And I did that for, I did that for the first eight years, um, about nine or 10 weeks into my Air Force career. I'd just gotten out of basic training and was at my technical school out of just outside of Wichita Falls, Texas. And I met the lady that's still sitting in my living room in there. Katie is my wife. We've been married for 26 years. So that's kind of the the short version of why I got there and and some of how I ended up where I am. Well, tell the listeners what you actually done during your time in the military. I'm sure it was a lot, but you know, kind of let us know what you did. Yeah, so I had I I had the benefit of having a fairly eclectic career. Um, there was only one time in 21 years where I did the same job twice, so it was kind of neat being able to bounce around and meet a bunch of different people, do nif- different things. Every, every It seemed like every time I turned a corner, there was something new for me to do. So I didn't really have to repeat myself. And and what that did was it promoted growth throughout my entire 21 years and and just kind of built that. It, it built that mindset in me of always wanting to see what's over the next horizon. So I started out in 1997 as a aircraft mechanic on F-15s. And I did that for a little bit. And my wife and I, we ended up moving to Alaska right after we got married. We, we put off getting married for almost three years so that she could finish nursing school. We moved to Alaska. And while I was there, I ended up doing a couple of different jobs, still in the in the maintenance career field, but ended up doing a couple of different jobs, really learned a lot about you know how the, the bigger picture enterprise worked, had a couple of kids. And and I think that that was part of the inspiration that led me to go back to college. And like I said before, I didn't do so well the first time around, but the second time around did a lot better. Ended up graduating, uh, got my bachelor's degree, associate's bachelor's and pressed on to my master's degree. And then I applied to be an officer. I, I put in a package to be a maintenance officer thinking it would be an easy transition from being an actual maintainer to kind of the manager of the maintainers. And sent my package in and they asked me if I wanted to fly. So I did a couple of quick, quick assessments and found out that I could fly F-15 strike Eagles. And that's what I set my goal to. I went to OTS, graduated flight school and became an uh, F-15E strike Eagle Wizzo, which is the backseater to the, to the pilot in the front. And I did that for about 13 years. And then kind of during that 13 years as an officer, it seemed like every every little step I was getting to do something different. I I did a three year stint with the Army as a liaison officer. I got to go back and fly Strike Eagles for one more tour. And then my last tour in the Air Force, I ended up down in uh, Phoenix at Luke Air Force Base flying F-16s, which was one of those one off, really rare kind of assignments that you just you just don't hear of very often for a backseater. And it was flying with the Republic of Singapore Air Force, which was super unique. So learning a new jet, learning a new culture with new people. And man, that last two years was were some of the most exciting in all of my 21 years. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, aside from your Air Force career, you you were also a player and a coach and you've won multiple championships. So tell us about your, your career as an athlete and a coach and tell us what that was like. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was in high school, um, very, very small town in Northeast Louisiana is where I did my high school years. Um, being in a very, very small school like that, like I graduated with 19 people. That's how we're talking very, very small. 
but I got the opportunity to be, I lettered in five sports in high school. So football, basketball, track, golf, and tennis. I played them all and yeah, I didn't terribly suck at them. I wasn't the best. I knew I wasn't going to play at the next level or anything, but I had a lot of fun, learned a lot about myself and the process of winning and all those intangibles that sports give you, like showing up on time and work ethic and preparation and all those good things. And as a sophomore, we ended up winning the state championship. We were a division two school and and we won a state championship there. So that was kind of my first taste of really being on the top of the podium. You know, at, even at that level in 10th grade, I recognized how special that was and how unique it is to be able to get to that position. Not everybody gets that in their life. And then Time goes on. Uh, as I got a little bit older, further into my career, I got to an opportunity where I, I was starting to get a little bit more free time, had readjusted some of my priorities, and I got to get into coaching for my sons. All three of my sons played football starting at a very early age, and I got to start coaching them. My first, my first season coaching was abysmal. It was terrible. We went two and five, and players coaches parents we were all very upset with how the with how the season went but being a student always wanting to learn more always wanting to try to do better i took a lot of notes that i still have on my computer and i go back to those and i start to i start to find where things started to go wrong do a little bit of root cause analysis capture the lessons learned and the next season that i coached we had moved down to phoenix got into a, uh, a good club down here coaching my 12-year-old son, and we went undefeated and won a championship that year. And so that was that was really – that was just proof that the process works. Like I had known it for years. I had known what the process is. I executed it every day in my own life and it, at work, part of my job. But to be able to put it in practice and teach a bunch of 12- and 13-year-olds the process and have them believe and believe in themselves – we ended up going back to back, winning two championships in two years, undefeated both times. And really, it was it was the players. You know, they bought into it. They didn't give us any grief um, to to build that sort of mental toughness and resiliency and belief and and confidence in those kids. They're all seniors or have already graduated high school now. And I still get phone calls and messages from those kids saying thank you and and what an impact that me and my coaching staff had on their lives. And that's what really got me the bug to get into what I'm into now, which is the personal coaching, the professional speaking and, and passing that message on in mass groups so that I can reach as many people as I can and hopefully pass that that winning mentality, that championship spirit on to everyone because I mean everybody deserves to know that everybody deserves to be able to feel that and and feel what it's like to stand on top of that podium and know that your hard work paid off. So that's that's that was my coaching career kind of wrapped up. There was a, a couple of basketball seasons mixed in there. We went undefeated. We didn't win the championship, but we went undefeated. And uh, I mean, we got beat by a better team in the end. But um, the bottom line is, I learned a lot about about how to win how to put the pieces together, how to formulate the right mentality, how to plan things out, execute the plan at a high level, and then capture the lessons learned at the end so that hopefully you don't repeat the mistakes. Well, I am from Southwest Louisiana. So so where did you go to high school in Northeast Louisiana? 
so I was north and east of Monroe in a little town called Lake Providence. And I, yeah. I kind of Facebook stalked you a little bit. So you're in DeRitter. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And, okay. I, and I stayed in Ruston and oh, Monroe. Right so, yep, I know about that town. Yeah. My uh, my little brother and my dad went to Louisiana Tech. Yeah. I went to Louisiana Tech for a couple of years. The Bulldogs. Yeah. Rustin's Rustin's a neat little town. I was I was torn between going to NLU. It was still NLU back right. back in those days. And um yeah. I was torn between going there and going back to Alabama. And the spring of my senior year, my grandfather passed away. And so I decided to go to Alabama and I I lived with my grandmother and I went to the University of North Alabama instead of NLU. I, I probably would have ended up at NLU because that's where all my buddies went. Absolutely. And I was in college when the lady texters were good. Yeah. Well, that's been a couple of days ago. Absolutely. <laughs> so you you are, you have a uh, creation called the One One of Five Project. So kind of tell us about that yeah. and, and what that's all about yeah. and how it came about. So the One of Five Project is um, I wrote a book uh, several years ago and it really was just a it was just a fun project. I, I released the book on December 10th and I'm not trying to promote my book. This is getting to a point, but um, the process of publishing that book and and kind of how that came about, I got put in touch with this guy in Philadelphia. He's a, um, he's a publisher and he's got a, a fairly niche little, um, little enterprise up there. But anyways, he and I are having this, this conversation and uh, he had, he had come up with this idea for this book he wanted to do called, I love America. And he invited 13 veterans to write each write a chapter for this book. And it was supposed to be, you know, somewhere around 1500 words, nothing terribly long. And then at the end of the chapter, we were to we were to issue a personal challenge to the reader. And I was kind of hemming and hauling. And I think the I think the first couple of iterations that I sent to him, I just kind of missed. I, I I didn't clearly understand his intent. And so I was just kind of poking and we ended up having a really long conversation and, and we were just spitballing one day. And I said, Hey, do you know that Jim Rohn quote that says you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with? He says, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar. I said, well, what if you looked at it from the perspective of being one of the five people versus, you know, Instead of looking at who influences me, who are my five, I want to look at it from the position of being one of the five people and who I might influence. So more of an outward projection of what I'm doing. And that's kind of where that came from. And and the more I dug into it and the more I just wrote in a blank notebook and, and brainstormed on it, I came up with our mission statement is improve, ignite, inspire. We want to improve your personal standard because it really is all about the individual. If you if you take it right down, right down to it, it's at the individual level. And, and I can't control so many things in my life or my wife's life or your life, but I can control me. I can control my emotions. I can control my actions. I can control my choices. I can control a lot in my own personal day-to-day thinking and mentality. And so I want to improve my personal standard and hopefully ignite a spark inside me that creates momentum that makes me want to win more. And again, this is all about me. It's it's me, 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 me. It's, it's a little self-centered. But what that does is other people start to notice me winning. And when other people start to notice me winning, it inspires them 
to ask the question, Hey, what are you doing? What What's going on in there? This is the the funny story. So my, my journey had been about two and a half years in the making, and it all started with downloading one book on audible. And I walked, I walked out of here just a few months ago. I walked out of my room where I've been back here reading or doing whatever. And my wife stopped me right in the middle of the living room. She goes, look, I, I don't know what you're doing back there, but I got to get some of that. She had noticed after two and a half years, it took her two and a half years to say something, but she noticed that I was walking taller and I was more confident. I was more articulate. I, I had studied and in, I had just digested so much stuff and, and consumed so much content that was out there that, I mean, I, I had rekindled my flame and really ignited that spark in me. And it inspired her to get on her personal journey. She's been on it now for about four or five months, and she's doing fantastic. And the more we spread this, the more we just try to kick out positivity out to people. And it's not being, it's not bragging and it's not boasting about, oh, look what I did. It's just, hey, here it is, man. This is, this is the journey that I'm on. And I've, I can't tell you how many DMs I get and how many text messages and how many, um, how many emails I get that say, Hey man, we're noticing this stuff. This you inspired me to quit chewing tobacco, or you inspired me to go on a 30 day sober challenge, or you inspired me to sign up for the gym. And it's, it's just starting to create a little bit of a ripple effect. So that's, that's where it came from. And and where I really see it going is not necessarily a program, but more of a movement where people just, you know, you, you focus on yourself because that's really all you can control anyway. And make your own self-improvements a little bit every single day. Other people start to notice that it's contagious. You end up being the center of your own little universe and with all these little constellations of these groupings of five everywhere that are just growing and flourishing based on just the little improvements that you did in your own daily life. And you definitely can feel free to promote your books because this is what it's all about to let the listeners know what you're up to and to tell your story. That book, um, I had a I had a, a project that I started last February. So I've been working on it about a year. And that book is called Work Hard, Don't Suck. That book is so my kids, my kids are grown, right? My my youngest boy is 18, he's getting ready to graduate high school. Last year, he comes in from football practice. My wife and I are sitting in the living room. He walks in, he's got his Beats headphones on, hat turned back side or backwards, no shirt, backpack slung, doesn't say a word, goes straight to his room, shuts the door. And I leaned up in my chair and I looked at my wife and I said, hey, I think we're done raising our kids. We've taught them right from wrong. They can feed and clothe themselves. They generally know how to, how to get around and how to do the daily thing, right? Now, obviously, you're never going to be done being a parent and you're always going to be polishing, but the basics of it. I mean, we raise good kids in my opinion. So I decided I was going to write down all the dumb dad advice that I've been giving them for 26 years, uh, all the way up to my son, my youngest boys getting ready to get out of the house. And, uh, I was going to write one eight and a half by 11 page. So about a thousand words on each topic. So one of the sayings in our home, since our kids were young enough to understand it was just be a good dude. Well, what does that mean? And I wanted to kind of spell it out, maybe tell some stories and and have this serve as not only a checklist and a guide for my boys to be able to look back on, but, you know, memories. And, and I try to tell a lot of funny stories in there about 
about them when they were little and why we parented some of the ways that we did and give them a little peek behind the curtain. That project that I was working on, well, oh, okay. by the way, I ended up with 160 of those things, which is way too much for one book. So I decided to break it up into the volumes. The first volume is called Work Hard, Don't Suck, and I'm trying to get it out by April 1st. All right. Shameless plug for my own stuff there. That book, as I was working on it last summer, was the book that I called that publisher about in Philadelphia, which got me into the I Love America project. Doing that project, he asked me, he says, hey, you're, you're decent at this writing stuff. Do you have anything that you can publish now? Well, I had this other manuscript that I've been sitting on for a few years. It's about a hike, uh, a pretty epic hiking adventure that me and two of my fighter pilot buddies went on back in 2009 in Alaska. And I framed the whole book around decision-making and planning and the battle of wills. Cause I mean, when you go out on a 50 mile hike, it's a thing that's, that's a significant emotional event, no matter what. Well, I had that manuscript sitting there. So after a couple of months of polishing it and uh, having a few people proofread it for me, I sent it to an editor and December 10th, we kicked it out into the real world and it's called No New Lessons. It's on Amazon. You can find it my, uh, under my name. Paul R. White is the author name. And um, it hit number one bestseller in like four days. I couldn't believe it. Like people actually bought my book. It was, it was crazy. It blew me away. But I mean, it's a fun read. And it's like uh, I wrote it in the tone of just kind of sitting around a campfire and me telling you a story for about 200 pages. It's a quick read. It's got a lot of it's got a lot of uh, life lessons in there. And the reason it's called No New Lessons is because I realized as I was writing it that I haven't learned anything new. These are all the same dumb lessons I'm just relearning throughout life. And there's a lot in there about how to be a champion and how to win and how to get over that battle of wills and and how to listen to your gut and and push forward left foot, right foot and and the process of getting through some of that stuff. So it's it's funny, you know, when you when you look back on it and you kind of look at these forks in the road and and these little small influences that you get throughout your life and how one thing just kind of leads to another and the it's the chapter that i wrote in the i love america project was all about opportunity and taking advantage of opportunity which is kind of the way that i look at my life i didn't do anything super special i just took advantage of some opportunities that were there and it's twofold one you know one you got to you got to recognize the opportunity when it's there so sitting there in the chelsea's bar and grill in march of 1997 my crew sitting on one end of the table and in walks the other crew and who sits next to me, but a smoking hot blonde nursing chick named Katie. And that was an opportunity. And so I took that opportunity. I started a conversation with her and she's sitting in there watching real housewives right now. So noticing the opportunities for what they are and then have being fearless enough to take the opportunity, I think is, is another big, it's, it's, it's paramount to, continuing your growth and continuing your journey. So it's it's neat to see how these things all inter, interweave and, and play off of each other. And one thing leads to another and kind of that fearlessness of making one phone call can lead you down a road that you didn't even know existed just a couple of months ago. Absolutely. Well, basically tell people about how they can become a champion of their own lives. Yeah. So it, I mean, I hate to say this, it's really not that hard. The, the winning process is, I think it's, 
a simple process. And there's a difference between simple and easy. The, the thing that I teach is plan, posture, perform. So you set your goal, whatever that is, and, and there's a whole there's a whole subsection about how to set goals that are the under the SMART acronym. If you've never heard of that, it's specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-based. Your your goals should fit all five of those categories. So once you set your goal out there, then you start the planning process and really digging down in in detail every single step. And in in the military, especially flying tactical sorties and, and doing tactical objectives, we try to always work from the target backwards. So start with the target. What's the task? What's the task and purpose? And what's the target? What's the objective? And then you work backwards from there on what the things that you, you need to do in order to get to the target. So there's several steps along the way. This, I mean, each one of these steps could have their own plan by themselves. You have to identify the the barriers to success. So, you know, if you're wanting to if you're wanting to start a 5K program, then obviously you need to sign up for the 5K and then start working backwards from that date on how do you get there. One of your barriers to success may be your eating habits. So, you might need to adjust some of that or figure out a different way to deal with that threat. A barrier to success may be that you don't have a pair of running shoes. Easy. Go get yourself a pair of running shoes. And that kind of goes into the next phase of, of my little winning process is posture. So once you have your plan in place, down into the details, you've you've gone through what's the target, what are the barriers to success, what's my timeline, and then choosing the best way to execute that plan, move into the posture phase. The posture phase is where you start gathering the resources that you need. And this could be, I mean, we're not we're not necessarily talking about cosmic plans here. We're, I mean, this could be going to pick your kids up from school. You do this probably subconsciously 10 or 12 times a day. You just don't really think about it in these terms. If you can formalize it, put it down on paper and really think through some of this stuff, you can apply it to anything from building a house or starting a new business. You know, I mean, going to get your kids from school. What It doesn't really matter the, the scale of what you're talking. The process is really the same. Gather your resources posture your resources. If you don't have running shoes, go get running shoes. If you want to eat healthier, get rid of all your crappy food in your pantry and go buy healthy food. That's posturing. That's getting the pieces in place so that when you need them, you can reach over and grab them. You don't have to go hunting for them. And then you move into the performance phase. And when you're performing, all you're doing is executing the plan that you already laid out. So you got the plan, you know, the steps, you know what the milestones are, you know, the dominoes that are all stacked up and you start knocking them down one at a time. The posturing phase gives you the resources that you need to execute the plan. If you posture correctly, everything should be there. And then the performance phase just kind of takes care of itself. Now, you have to have a little bit of discipline to stick to it and, and take your setbacks as they come, realizing that a setback is, is just that. It's not the end of the world. It's not complete failure. And even if you did fail, you got a chance to learn, reassess, replan, reposture, and then perform once again. And if you can do that consistently, over and over and over again, that's where the winning, well, winning feels good. You've you've no doubt won some stuff. I went through your Facebook feed a little bit ago. You're a winner, all right? You, you know what it feels like to win. You know what that rush is. You know what that feeling is of standing on that podium and knowing that you did something, right? Well, if you do that enough, then you start to kind of get addicted to it just a little bit. And it creates momentum. That's where under the one of five project, that's the ignite phase. You're starting to ignite that momentum and you want to win more and you want to win harder and harder and harder. And so it, 
it makes your goals get just a little bit bigger and a little bit more grandiose. In the performance phase, when you get to the end of it, win or lose, knock over the domino or don't, you get a chance to assess, debrief that plan, figure out what went right, what went wrong. If it went wrong, let's fix it. Let's figure out why it went wrong. Do some root cause analysis on this. If it went right, is there a way that we could have made it better or more efficient or more effective? And that way, the next iteration of your plan, you just make it even better. That Your, your performance phase ends up getting a little bit easier. Now, if you take everything that I just said, and let's let's just throw it on top of a football season, an entire football season. I mean, this stuff starts in preseason, like spring, right? You're going through... You're going through the process of planning. You're identifying your targets. You're working from those backwards. So the first target may be first game of the year. It may, it may be first practice of the year. You've got to go out and recruit your players. You've got to come up with practice plans. You've got to get the jerseys. You've got to get the the dummies and build your coaching staff and start having those meetings. And this is all the planning and posturing phase. When you move into the execution phase on day one of practice, now your target bumps out to maybe the first game. All right, so you've got a finite amount of time there. Look at the NFL. They do preseason, and then they got their first game a few weeks later, and they're doing the same exact process. Their timeline shifts along as they move from left to right on the sliding scale through the season. All the while, you're going through the performance phase. You're learning. You're relearning. You're replanning. Let's say you get to the first game, and you win. Okay, now the target bumps out to the next week. We got we got a new target. It's seven days away. Let's capture the lessons learned from the game we just played. See what we can improve on. See what worked and what didn't work. Let's apply that during our practices this week. And then we go out and we execute again on Saturday or Sunday, wh- whichever day you're playing. And then the process just repeats itself. Throughout the regular season, you're really just looking six or seven days out into the future. What's the next game? What's the next threat? You kind of hear these athletes talk all the time about, oh, we're just moving on to the next one. We're just moving on to the next one. That's the winning process. They're not making that stuff up. In their mind, that you just have to keep moving. And by the end of the season, if you've done things correctly and kept your front sight focus, killed the closest alligator to the boat the whole way, you get into the playoffs. Well, now you got a new, now you got a new target, the championship game. And the process just keeps going. And that's kind of how you can take you can take these these very very simple processes and execute them at a high level and become a champion. You can do that with anything, any goal you want to set in your life. Like I said, if you want to run a marathon, start with running around the block. Knock down that domino. Move on. If you can if you can manage to do that, then run two laps around the block. Run a mile, run two miles, run four miles, and before you know it, you're going to run a marathon. Most definitely. So tell us about any upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about. I've got um, the one of five project is an ongoing thing. And like I said, it's a little bit of a movement, but I think there's there's some good reading on my website. You can go you can find that at paulroscoewhite.com. Right next to the tab on the menu page of the one of five project is work hard, don't suck program. So that program I'm putting together, I'm doing a 30, a 60, and a 90-day version of it. And each one of those programs has just a slightly different, I guess I guess I say objective for what you want to accomplish or what I would like for you to accomplish under uh, the 30, 60, or 90. Um, and, and 
I, I had this interview with a guy uh, the other day that we were kind of we were kind of brainstorming some on these projects, and he says, "Well, man, I, all I do is work. Like I get up and I go to work every single day, and I'm just hustling, I'm grinding, and I I want you to." kind of divorce that way of thinking in your mind. When I say work, I'm not necessarily talking about grinding every day at a nine to five job. I'm talking about the mindset that everything that you do requires effort. If you want to change and become a champion, you have to do the work sitting around talking about things is, is not going to get it done. You have to act right. And if you, if you want to be a champion, you're going to have to act consistently at a high level to get up on that podium. You got to, you got to really jump in with both feet and commit and you got to be honest with yourself and you got to do the work. The don't suck part of that is it's, it's really simple. Just try to be a little bit better every day. If you go into every day, trying to suck a little bit less than you did yesterday, that's called improvement. And if you do enough improvement over time, then you're going to win eventually the 30, 60, 90 day programs, they're broken up. Like the 30-day program is for somebody maybe who's just starting out. Maybe they don't have a, phys- a physical fitness routine. Maybe they're, you know, they're a little bit unmotivated or they lack a little bit of self-confidence. And the 30-day program is designed to get them started rebuilding some habits, start to create some of that momentum that I talked about. And by the time you get into the 60-day process um, or the 60-day program, the excitement and the motivation of the 30 days has kind of worn off. You're, you're far enough away from the finish or from the starting line that you can't, you're, you're no longer excited and you're still so far away from the finish line that you can't quite get excited about that. So it's kind of that, that marathon in the middle, if you will. And those 30 days are going to require you to really, really silence that inner quitter inside your brain, that little voice inside that says it's okay to give up, or you don't really need to go out and do that today because it's cold or windy or something like that. That's what that 30 days is focused on is really, really getting to where you can shut that guy up and lock him in a closet and continue your disciplined approach to doing the exercises and the, and the events that we have laid out in the program. And then the 90-day version is is just the top off. You're coming off of the marathon in the middle. You can see the finish line now. And now this is where your transformation really happens. This is where all of the last 60 days just becomes rote. It becomes habit. It's This is the money phase. This is where you transfer transform into the new you and you start to imprint that new standard in your life. And, and this is all about this is all about sustainable habits, sustainable patterns. Many of the reasons or one of the reasons that many of these fad diets and fad exercise plans just don't work is because they're not sustainable for for a lifetime. Like nobody's going to eat nuts for the rest of their life. All right. This is just not sustainable. But I'll, I'll tell you one of my personal goals every week. Very simple goal that I have is I try to eat five salads. That's it. That's my personal goal every week. Sometimes I do it Monday through Friday. Sometimes I have to eat two salads on a Saturday just to make up or, you know, if I missed, I cut out fast food. That's very simple. That's sustainable for the rest of my life if I choose it. So it's that's kind of the the personalized version of this is you get to pick all this stuff. You you pick your goals, you 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 pick your processes, you pick your habits, and we'll start we'll start kind of peeling back the onion to get to the to the root of it to where you can sustain this and really start to inspire others through your actions. 
Well, you gave us your website, paulroscoewhite.com. So close us out with some final thoughts that you have for the listeners. Maybe something I forgot to touch on that you would like to talk about or just any final thoughts. I, I tell you what, man, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I, I hate that we didn't get to talk about you very much. I, I kind of hate, I kind of don't like talking about myself so much. I'm, I'm really an introverted kind of dude. I don't, I don't enjoy talking about me. I, I can talk about the things that I did uh, very comfortably, but maybe next time we get to, we get to talk about you. I would invite, I would invite your listeners to go check out my website and just cruise around. There's some good reading on there. I've, I've got a little blog section on there where I just try to put out some motivational stuff. And I, I try to, I try to talk about things from kind of a cool guy, military flying, you know, championship winning perspective because a, it's fun. And B, I think there's just a really, there's a lot of really good lessons in there. You can also find links to all my books on there. My, my newest book is going to be, I'm targeting April 1st, work hard, don't suck. It's a moral, it's a moral compass for raising kids with honor, discipline, and character. Um, as my kids are transitioning out of the house, I kind of wanted, I wanted to be able to give them something to take with them into young adulthood. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know about you, but like when my kids were born, I wasn't given a checklist on, hey, if you just teach them all this stuff in the next 18 years, they're going to be good people. I wasn't given that checklist. So I kind of wrote the checklist. So hopefully your hopefully your listeners will be able to see that come out in April and go check out the website. And if there's something that intrigues you, then there's a contact me page on it. Send me an email, give me a call, and you can find me on all the socials, Paul Roscoe White on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and I'm all over LinkedIn. So love to have those conversations. I just I like to see people win, man. I know winning's fun, and I, and I want to see other people enjoy that. Absolutely, and. This show is not about me. It's about the guests and the listeners. Now, I'm an introvert as well, but I do this show so the listeners can be taught, motivated, and inspired. And you definitely have a inspirational story. Listeners, be sure to check out paulroscoewhite.com. If you have any topic or guest suggestion, see Jackson102 at cox.net is the place to send them. Follow, rate, review, share. Tell a friend about the show. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Curtis. Thanks for having me, buddy. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.